This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, week one of the college football season is in the books. And I'm excited because there's a lot to talk about. So I'm glad you're here with me this evening. Oh, I, I mean, Paul, it was just, it was like Christmas time if you're a football fan. I mean, it's the holiday season at its best. Balls, you know, football's flying in the air. It's like jingle bells happening in the mid, you know, in the midwinter wind. I mean, who can say anything more, but it's football season. And it was incredible to have such an incredible slate of games. And some of them, even the primetime ones, it seems like, you know, uh, Nostradamus himself picked some games for us to really kind of latch onto and enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who have been regular listeners over time, we now transition to the schedule for the college football season. So what that's going to be is there's always going to be an episode recapping what happened in terms of college football from a draft standpoint. We're going to call these episodes the NFL Draft Report, but that's really only going to be one of the four segments we do. It's going to be the main segment where we talk about quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends in terms of what happened this past weekend, draft stock up, down, you know, kind of makes sense of what we saw Then it's going to be a small segment, which we titled the Devi Slant, where we talk about some underclassmen, freshmen or sophomores who you should, you know, maybe making to try to get in your Devi leagues and just talk about them a little bit. Then it's the tail of the tape as we look forward to the next week in college football, some individual matchups that we're kind of looking forward to. And then we close out shop with the NFL Rookie Report, where we kind of check in on those rookies from last year's draft class to kind of see what they're up to in their rookie season at the NFL. So basically every single probably Monday or Tuesday morning on your podcast feed, you're going to see an episode from Saturday to Sunday called the NFL Draft Report and kind to outline those four different sections that I just laid out. This week, you're going to have a couple, two extra bonus pods, but moving forward, it'll just be one during the college football season for the most part. There might be some weeks that there, there might be a bonus episode, but this week, there's going to be the Premium Notebooks launch episode that just kind of outlines and details the 2020 uh, Premium Notebooks. You get the 2020 Scouting Notebook, the Rankings Notebook, the Freshman Notebook, and the Draft Projections Notebook. Obviously, if you check out that episode, you will hear all in detail in terms of what that encompasses and what's exactly a part of the premium content plan there. And then Matt, why don't you tell the audience you have a special bonus seminar series podcast. I know you were looking forward to recording this in August with the rest of the seminar series, but logistically it just took a little bit longer to to make it happen that we're going to launch that later in the week. One bonus episode that ties into your seminar series. Yeah, no, we're going to have uh, Mr. Erwan LaCour, who's the founder and creator of Move Nat and also the author of the book, practical movement. Um, he's, he's just, he's just one of those, uh, individuals that's just essentially changing the game when it comes to understanding how the human body works, how we move as human beings. And he's had experience, uh, working with Carlos Condit in the UFC 
And he's had a, a lot of experience working with athletes as well as, you know, just working with everybody, regular people who just want to get in better shape. And um, his principles and his ideas and how he sees the human movement system is something that is really incredible. He's an incredibly insightful person. And I think people are going to really enjoy that discussion. So I'm excited, Paul, for people to listen to that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you enjoyed Matt's seminar series and all that stuff, please make sure you check out that bonus episode later in the week as well. So Matt, let's kick it right off with the NFL draft report for week one of the college football season. And we're going to start the quarterback position. And I, it's not the order in which these games were played, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start with the performance by Jalen Hurts, uh, for Oklahoma, his first game with Oklahoma, and he goes out there and goes 20 of 23, 332 yards and three touchdowns, and he rushes for 176 yards and three touchdowns. Is this the beginning of Jalen Hurts turning into a all-around quarterback that maybe legitimately could be an NFL draft prospect? It, like what did what do we make of this performance? Because if you didn't know any better, you would have thought Kyler Murray was still quarterback in the Sooners this past weekend. Well, no, and I think you kind of alluded to something. I think that we can't remove from the equation, which is that you know Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma offense and and what it has done in terms of basically producing Heisman Trophy winners um, has been really unparalleled over the last several years. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think that it's not just Jalen, it's not just the system. It's, you know, it's Jalen Hurts also being able to function in that system. And I, and I think that that game goes a long way to showing you what he's capable of, uh, under, under different circumstances, what his capacity for improvement are. But I, but I would also say this, Paul, I think that we also have a, for some reason, the narrative surrounding Jalen Hurts is he's not a great quarterback. And, and I don't know if that's entirely fair. I mean, this was somebody who only got replaced by somebody who's going to, what, end up being the number one draft pick in the NFL. I mean, he only got replaced by him and he got them all the way to the championship game. So, I mean, I think we need to bring a little bit of a sobering mindset when looking at him as this upstart that's setting the world on fire. I don't know if that's the right, I don't know if that's the right dialogue or the right narrative to surround him. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's in a system now that really exploits his functionality as a quarterback in ways that he sees the game. I think there's a very good fit and I don't know. And I don't think there's any reason to think that that's going to change Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jalen hurts. I don't think it's going to be a natural progression. They're not exactly the same player, but I do think that they can use and utilize. I think Lincoln Riley can utilize him very effectively as we already have seen. And I'm excited for the rest of the year. I hope this kid lights the world on fire. I really do. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think it's one of those things is that you watch Jalen Hurts play even at his time in Alabama. And I think we just kind of, you know, from what we saw, it looked like Nick Saban was constantly trying to hide his passing ability and not really let him do too much. I know when I watched him and wrote him up for the 2020 scouting notebook, it wasn't like there was a lot of film on him. I had to go back mostly to his freshman film. And then, you know, I, I watched that game when he came in and saved the day, you know, against Georgia, you know, last year and stuff. But I did walk away saying, kind of more impressed in certain ways with him than I than I thought I would. I, I put as strengths his athleticism, his rushing ability, his toughness, mobility, ability to extend the play, throwing on the run, playing off structure. 
But the things that I wanted to see development and improvement upon, he started showing them last night. Accuracy at all three levels, decision-making, going through progressions, his footwork. So to me, I always thought maybe he was on an arc that he was going to be a potential position switch at the next level or be a practice squad or third string quarterback. Cause I just didn't know if he would ever be a guy that could do the, the progression reading, the decision-making, the accuracy at all three levels. But if last night is the start of it, my entire scouting report on him will have to be updated. I'm not going to update it and throw everything I saw from his Alabama film out the window based on one game. But if, if, if we see this becoming routine for him, well, then everything that then I have to basically rewatch him from scratch and just focus on four or five Oklahoma games. You know, once once he's played, a, uh, you know, a month or a little bit more than a month with Oklahoma, because then that's what I have to really be watching in terms of writing up his profile, not what I was watching at Alabama, because it was night and day compared to what what he was asked to do at Alabama and what they asked him to do, you know, in that first game here at Oklahoma. So it's going to be fascinating to watch Dalen Hurts. Let's take this to another guy, Joe Burrow out of LSU. He's been a guy who we, we've talked at length, me and you, about the LSU offense and, and how boring and dull it was at times. And Joe Burrow is a guy who I, I think had been generating a little bit of buzz in the NFL draft community as a guy that had some talent, but people wanted to see him take the next step. Well, if this week was the, the start of that, I walked away impressed. 23 of 27, 278 yards and five touchdowns. Any thoughts on Joe Burrow and and him developing this year to potentially become a guy who's maybe looked at as a day two quarterback prospect in next year's NFL draft? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great question. I mean, the way I saw him coming out of the spring game when I had a chance to watch LSU over the summer, um, I had a chance to watch his spring game and just watching what he was doing and what they were trying to accomplish on offense. The offense itself was trying to move more towards a passing game to begin with. So this, to me is indicative of an opportunity now to properly evaluate him and get a good feel for what he can do. I mean, I wasn't necessarily down on him as a quarterback prospect, but I mean, I don't think he brought the level of refinement that obviously the guys in the top tier do. But I think that if he can show what he showed in this particular game, if he can show that athleticism, he can show that ability to, you know, kind of move through his reads and make connections at different levels of the field. I think there's an opportunity for him, for his stock to go up for sure. And I think that, you know, it's important. I think these games are a reminder that these players are practicing when we're not watching them. So, I mean, you know, we, we, we think we think that they're going to be exactly the same as they were the year before. And that's just not the case. They are all pushing themselves, struggling, trying to push their own levels of challenge and their own understanding of the game. So to see some of these guys make strides is a testament to their work ethic and what they put in in the offseason. So I, I, I think there's absolutely, a, you know, a future or, or, or a world where Joe Burrows does kind of climb into relevancy as a day two quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of a quarterback who is very much being talked about, about three, four weeks ago, we did the quarterback show. And I remember you having a little hearts and and flutters about a certain prospect. And we thought we were going to be much higher on him than the, the consensus. But since we did that episode, the love for Jordan Love has has been really ratcheted up a little bit where people, Dane Brugler had him in his top 10 overall big board offense and defense overall there's been 
scouts saying he reminds people of Patrick Mahomes. So the he is out there. He is being talked about. He is being looked upon as potential a top 10 or a first round pick. His first week of, of performance, 33 of 48, 416 yards, three touchdowns. He showed the highs. He showed the excitement. He did have to show that he's still a little raw, still a little bit unrefined, three interceptions. So he's got to clean up some things about that in terms of decision-making, but he's learning a new scheme, new coach. He's probably going to put a lot on his shoulders and try to overcome and compensate for it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see those interception numbers a little bit on the high end. But I know you talked about how much you liked him when you watched his film. Any just thoughts on, on Jordan Love, whether it's about this week or just in general about are you excited that there seems to be a growing momentum that this kid legitimately is a, is a high level prospect because he has a lot of intriguing traits. He solves problems. I think in a lot of variety on the football field. Well, and that's the thing. I think the biggest thing that I took away from his film was I, I, I think that it was one of the prettiest deep balls I've ever seen thrown. It looked like it looked like a pillow falling out of the air into the guy's hands I think he threw a very incredible football when it came to the deep throws. And again, what does that really mean? It means that I think there's a, a huge, a huge, 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 huge sensitivity to him as a quarterback. He understands just not just the coverage, but he understands his wide receivers very well. He knows where to put the ball in order to get them to kind of make that catch and be able to transition immediately after the catch to being a runner. I don't think it's just about, you know, a, a football being thrown hard, deep, or placed right. It, it's all of those things and more. He has to adjust the trajectories well for his players, and I think he does that on an individual basis. And I think that's where I think he's very special. And I think his ability to attack, you know, to attack as a quarterback is not just limited to the pocket. And I think that's now how I got to phrase it. You know, this idea of on structure, off structure, I, I think it's, it's starting to make me cringe because I think at the end of the day, I think there are players that are comfortable attacking from within the pocket. And I think there are players that are comfortable attacking no matter where they are behind the line of scrimmage. He's one of those guys. And I think that that's him to a, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who I'm sure we're going to talk about all those guys, but Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, all those guys. We need guys that can stretch the field as quarterbacks behind the line of scrimmage and be able to attack no matter what at all angles and at all times. And I think that's where those guys can be very dangerous in really putting defenses in a, in a problem state. And I think that's what Jordan Love can do. And I think he is just one of the, I, I just, again, my heart fluttered when I watched him play football <laughs> over the summer. It hasn't, it hasn't dulled. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fun to watch him progress and development over this year. So you mentioned to his name there. I'm not going to get into a deep Tua conversation tonight because I feel like every single week we could do a Tua and a Herbert check-in. And Tua this week, you know, Alabama, you know, ran rough shot on Duke. First half was kind of close and then they, they pulled away and just blew him out in the second half. So obviously Tua did his thing, 336 yards and four touchdowns. Justin Herbert was the quarterback of the big two that were, cha that was challenged this week. He had a go up against Auburn. Oregon had that game in control the entire game, and then they ended up losing uh, down in the final minutes there. Herbert, 28 of 37, 242 yards. I thought he handled himself really well against that Auburn defense. I walked away impressed with Herbert. I, his arm talent, his decision-making, I liked a lot about Justin Herbert. Any quick thoughts on Justin Herbert before we finish out on the quarterbacks with two guys that I wanted to pick your brain on? 
Yeah, no, I, I think Justin Herbert, you know, lived up to the expectations. He showed what he needed to show. Um, I think he got off to a little bit of a rough start. I think that Auburn defense is is going to be suffocating at times for for opponents this year. It was a that defensive line is relentless. Um, their ability to rally to the football attack is just unbelievable, and I think they're going to be an absolute beast of a team to deal with. But I think what I liked the, uh, most about Justin Herbert is I, I really saw at times, I, I saw it throughout that game, especially in the beginning, under pressure when he was constantly being ravaged and chased. You know, he didn't really get too rattled. I, I mean, I thought he did a nice job keeping his composure throughout the game. And like you said, he had it in control. And, and Paul, I mean, I don't mean to be remiss. I mean, I'm sure you're going to maybe potentially move off this or something, but Bo Nix to me was the star of that game. I, I'm, I'm just going to, I'll leave it there. I mean, a lot of people are talking about how, um, you know, he looked like a freshman. I don't know. I don't think he looked like a freshman. I also think that Oregon front line was pretty good too. And I think they were chasing him equally as well. You know, I mean, I think that Oregon line was chasing him pretty well or that, or, or the Auburn line wasn't really doing great in pass protection, but I saw Bo Nix run for his life more often than not. And I'm going to tell you that kid can play and he's exactly everything I thought he was going to be out of high school. And I'm just glad that they didn't pull the plug because of an interception here or there. He, he came to win and he did it. And I just love the way that kid plays the game. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we might talk about him a little bit more in the Debbie slant, but I walked away very impressed watching that game with Bo Nix. I think he's going to be a big-time, big-time quarterback prospect that's going to be fun to watch over the next couple years. In terms of two final draft eligible guys, one, it was nice to see Jacob Easton get on the field and put up the performance he did, 27 of 36, 349 yards and four touchdowns. So if you had any thoughts on him, and then also Sean Clifford, any any. I feel like you're always my go-to guy when a guy kind of emerges. You seem to know the backstory sometimes a little bit on these guys or how heavily recruited they were. Anything on Sean Clifford, the starting quarterback for Penn State, uh, 14 of 23, 280 yards and two touchdowns. Not Don't really care about the, the production. Obviously, Penn State you know, had a cupcake win this week. But any, any thoughts on Eason and his first performance there with, with Washington and then Clifford with Penn State? No, Clifford is somebody that, that really kind of came out of the woodworks for me as well. Um, he was amongst, obviously, the you know kids that were recruited, but it wasn't something that I, I, I found a lot of stuff on him. He was not a guy that was on my radar until recently. Um, whereas Jacob Eason is somebody that's been on everybody's radar since birth. And um, I'm pretty sure of that because I think he came out and people were like, oh, this kid's, kid's built to be a quarterback. And and there's a lot of pressure that wrote on that kid. I mean, he he basically was a kid that that a lot of people had very high hopes for. It didn't really work out in Georgia. And now here we are in Washington. And for him to kind of put it together and have a very strong opening kind of volley or, you know, salvo between him and the rest of the Pac-12, I think that's that's really encouraging to see. I mean, I think Jacob Eason's biggest, you know, issues coming out of Georgia were really his his kind of accuracy. There was no issue with his arm strength or being able to throw a spiral or throw a ball down the field. It was really all about that play speed, that ability to distribute the football, that functionality in terms of, you know, reading the the tea leaves that is the defensive coverage and being able to distribute the ball to his receivers. Uh, in a way that allowed them to attack. And I think that's the biggest thing that you saw from him. I think you saw a little bit more of that um, in in his debut. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be exciting to see Eason and see if he can develop into that, you know, first round or early second round quarterback prospect that some people want to put him uh, up there at. Let's take this to the running backs. And I'm not going to go off one by one here because the running backs we know are stocked in terms of elite caliber prospects. Most of them lived up to the billing this week. We had Jonathan Taylor going for 135 yards and two touchdowns, but probably the most important aspect of Jonathan Taylor. He had two catches for 48 yards and two touchdowns, showing he can do something on the ground. We had Travis Ethian, 12 carries for 205 yards and three touchdowns, showing his big playability. J.K. Dobbins, 91 yards and a touchdown in his first game for Ohio State. We'll be talking about his teammate, his quarterback, uh, momentarily in the Devy slant. Cam Akers, the reemergence of him, 15 carries, 116 yards, one touchdown, showing that big play ability that we saw his freshman year that was lacking last year. DeAndre Swift, 16 carries, 149 yards, and I just can't not watch him and not get Alvin Kamara vibes when I watch uh, DeAndre Swift. A.J. Dillon was probably the only big-name guy that kind of was a little bit sluggish this week, 23 carries, 81 yards, and only one touchdown. Any of the thoughts on any of those running backs? Obviously, you don't got to go through each one of them. Is there one or two that kind of stood out to you from the big names that obviously are well known from everybody? No, I think, I think the biggest one that stood out to me has got to be Cam Akers. I mean, you have to feel great about that performance for Cam Akers because we all felt that, that it was a bit of a slight, um, but yet a current reality of what his past production and maybe his past film was saying about his current draft stock. But he's a guy that I think is going to go from UDFA. I think that was like one of those things that was discussed about him. He might be a UDFA. Well, I I think that should be done now. I don't think we need to talk about him being a UDFA. I think it's time to start looking at him as legitimately being a day two prospect. And I think there's no reason why he can't. You saw what you needed to see from him in that game in terms of just – just showing, just showing what he can do as a developmental running back. And I think that's important to remember. He is a developmental running back. You know, he has been putting it together, but he is a, a running back that, that kind of just put it together after high school. He was a quarterback in high school and now he's a running back. So, I mean, just seeing that big game from him was great. And JK Dobbins, I think he showed, you know, he could be more than just a scat back. He doesn't need to be, you know, he doesn't have to be that Tariq Cohen style player. He can run between the tackles, showing that toughness, showing that tenacity, showing that ability to kind of handle collisions, that contact fidelity. You know, that's the things you want to see from an interior runner. And it doesn't mean that you're pushing the pile. Sometimes being great in as a great interior runner just understands how to manage and kind of marginalize, you know, the types of trajectories defenders are taking on you. How do you mitigate the force they're trying to put on your body? How do you, how do you offset that? And you could do that with agility. You can do that with making subtle cuts at the right moment to kind of offset the power that a player can deliver to you, the force they can generate. Those are things that you can do. And I, and I love just seeing him do that. The stiff arm. It was all great. I loved JK Dobbins. I loved Cam Akers. I think that was a big show for them. Yeah, absolutely. And then even the second tier of running backs, there was a bunch of big performances. Uh, Truba Hubbard, 221 yards and three touchdowns showing that big play capability. You know, to me, the, the question marks on Hubbard that I'm going to look for this year is overall play strength running between the tackles. But if you get him in space, if you get him to the second level for a guy his size in terms, he's a, a little bit of an upright runner, but he can make people miss. I love his change of direction ability. We saw big plays out of Truba Hubbard this week. Zach Moss helped 
Salty for Utah, 187 yards and one touchdown. He was a guy that some people were very high on last year. He decided not to come out after the injury. So he's trying to work his way into be a top 100 type guy. Uh, and then also Kylan Hill, a guy who I talked about is I wasn't as high on as maybe some people, but he looked really good this week. 27 carries for just under 200 yards and a touchdown. Really impressive performance by Kylan Hill. So this running back class, it has those elite guys that we're going to be checking in on pretty regularly, but there's the second and third tier is just loaded uh, with talent. And we just saw some of those guys in Hubbard and Moss and Hill perform uh, and surpass expectations in week one. Any thoughts on them or any other running back that maybe I didn't mention that you just kind of wanted to share a thought on that? No, I mean, Chubba Hubbard for me is somebody that just continues to be enigmatic. I'm not sure. And I'm very puzzled what to make of him. You know, I, I know there, there's a definite core of really respected analysts that, that really see him as, you know, um, a player that we're sleeping on, a player that's going to emerge, a player that's going to have a meteoric rise. I think that you're right, Paul. I think what he does in space is what makes him special. Um, but I, I don't know what to make of him as an all-around runner quite yet. So he's a guy for me that I'm definitely watching eagerly week to week because, like I said, there are, there is a core contingency of people that are absolute believers in his talent and upside. And I, it's something that I want to give due credit to because it's something that I, I believe very well that it's possible. I just got to see more of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. So let's take this to the wide receiver position. And before I, I start rattling off a bunch of things, I want to open the floor and, and bring up a name that we haven't talked a lot about on this show, but we've talked privately about him. Texas A&M, two wide receivers. We've talked a lot about Jamon Osborne. He looked good this week, six catches, 75 yards and a touchdown. But I really want to hear your take on Courtney Davis, six catches, 85 yards and a touchdown. Texas A&M staring at a monster game next week. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the tail of the tape. But any, any thoughts on Davis or Osborne moving forward in terms of what, you know, if they have the years that you're expecting, you know, where could their, where could their ceiling be in terms of maybe draft capital? You, are these guys that could push for the top 100? Yeah, well, I don't know if they're going to push for the top 100. I think that's going to be a little hard. I, I think for them to be a top 100 player, maybe a little bit of a stretch. Uh, I do think Osborne has that upside, um, but Courtney Davis, probably not. I, I don't think he's going to push as a top 100. But, but, but I do think that you're going to see a lot of similarities in his game uh, between players like him and um, I think players like, I'll, I'll give you a comp that's, very similar to his style. First of all, he's very much a route runner. I know we talk about route running all the time, but he was an excellent, excellent, excellent route runner in high school. And he was very deceptive. He was very much a manipulative route runner. He understood how to use space and try to attack coverages. I see him very much materializing within the same vein. I don't want to say Jerry Judy. He's not that level, but I'll, I'll say, but I'll say that he's in that kind of that, that Thailand, you know, Tylen Wallace type of type of area. You know, he's in that. Um, you know, he's in that world of the the Robert Woods and the Tyler Vaughns and you know those styles of player. And I'm mixing in some NFL and some college because he hasn't had a lot of exposure yet, right? I mean, he really hasn't played. Uh, I think last year was his first time getting any types of reps, and now he's healthy. He's fully healthy and he's ready to play. 
He's a route runner. He's a technician. I think there's a lot of room. I see a lot of Deshaun Hamilton in him. If you want to talk about Deshaun Hamilton, if you like Deshaun Hamilton, who's currently with the Denver Broncos, then I think Courtney Davis is a player that you're going to latch on to and say, yeah, there's room for him in the NFL. There's definitely an opportunity for him to kind of set the world on fire. I don't think he's a top 100 guy. I do think Jamon Osmond, if everything settles right and he's back to his old form, yeah, he's a guy that could be a top 100 guy. He's in that world. Yeah, I was really impressed with him, and I'm excited to look forward to his matchup this week uh, for sure. In terms of the big guys, it, it was a little bit of a mixed bag, I think, this week. You know, you had LaVisca Chenault pretty quiet, three catches, 48 yards, did have one touchdown. You had Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota, only three catches, 28 yards, quiet a week for him. You had Brian Edwards, one catch for seven yards, a little concerning. You know, I think the consistency and him not dominating, I think are some questions that, that have me, that I've always had some questions about Edwards in that regards, as much as I like his individual talent. And maybe the inconsistency is why there sometimes seems to be a disconnect with what the draft community thinks of Brian Edwards. And then what like the Debbie community who were all very high on Brian Edwards, on the flip side, some guys did stand out. Tylen Wallace, 92 yards and two touchdowns. Obviously, Jerry Judy, really impressive. 10 catches, 137 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so a- any thoughts on, on those big names there? And then, but Henry Ruggs had a quiet week. Any thoughts on anyone who had either a quiet week or a big week in terms of the big guys that, that are probably in a lot of people's top 10 wide receivers at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Brian Edwards for me is a player that I was, I was a little shocked by. But then again, I mean, North Carolina won that game. So, I mean, we, we, it was a very weird game overall. So I, I really have to see that kind of week two kind of bounce back. I'm hoping for that because I, I don't understand why Brian, Brian uh, Edwards isn't necessarily being the focal point of their offense. I mean, it's not like there's a lot going on around him where he's not the guy who should be getting, you know, peppered with targets over and over and over again. So he's a guy that I'm, I'm a little surprised at. I mean, I do think, I think LaVisca Chenault, I think that, you know, his overall game is one that we've talked about being one that's manufactured in many ways. So I think his receiving numbers are always something that I'm, I'm, you're never always going to be in love with. I think he's going to have these ups and downs. I think it's going to be about game script. It's going to be about all these different things that go into it. So, I mean, I, I'm keeping an open mind because, I mean, again, I think it's the the quintessential kind of, you know, um, kind of mantra that we all live by. I mean, it's not like the old film was lying. You know, the the film we saw over the summer, it didn't lie. It was it it was what they were, and. Again, I think it goes back to Paul, like what we do in the NFL, right? Overreact, underreact, just react and just kind of, it's another data point and we move forward, you know, but I do think Brian Edwards for sure, that's something that's become way too common when talking about Brian Edwards. And it is a little bit disconcerting to say the least, especially when you believe he has talent to, to exceed that by, by a mammoth margin. Yeah, absolutely. Three guys that stood out for me that, that are well-known names, but it was nice to see them this week do it. T- uh, Tamori and Terry out of Florida State, four catches, 99 yards, and a touchdown. I just, I'm going to keep 
I'm going to keep uh, harping on this one. I think this guy is going to have a mediocre rise. I don't know if he's going to come out as a redshirt sophomore, but I think Terry is a guy who can be an outside vertical X wide receiver. This week he showed some uh, yards after the catch ability, took a pass and took it to the house like 70 yards or something. So Tamarian Terry is a guy who really intrigued me this week. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's 11 catches and 150 yards. A guy formerly former co-host of ours and partner Bill Ladin was a big fan of Tyler Vaughn's a couple years ago. He has a breakout game in week one this year. So that was impressive. And then Tariq Black, Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't play. Tariq Black finally healthy. Four catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Looking like that big play threat that he has that potential that he's oozing. He just hasn't been able to, to display it with any type of regularity due to injuries. Uh, so it was nice to see those three guys. Any of those three guys, uh, are you excited about how they started their seasons and maybe what this season holds for any of those three? No, I, I love all those guys. Um, I'm really excited for uh, Tyler Vaughn's, and I'm really excited to see you know, what holds, uh, for Tariq black. I mean, um, I, I hope he comes out. Okay. I know that there was, uh, some speculation that black had some, uh, that suffered some type of injury during that game. Um, not sure whether or not it ended up, you know, if it's going to end up holding him back, but the latest was, you know, that he did return, but he did have a little bit of an injury and that was a, an issue during the game. So I hope that doesn't linger, but having Tariq black back is, one of the, I think one of the most exciting um, things for the wide receiver class because him and Jamon Osmond, I think, are two receivers that we really haven't seen anything due to health other than, you know, Jamon Osmond, his freshman year, and everybody was excited. Dariq Black, we haven't seen anything because of his injuries. I think these guys being healthy could be things that make this class potentially legendary. If those guys come and they're full strength and they end up coming out, this could make them legendary. This could make a legendary class of wide receivers. They're that good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, there's not much for me to add to that. I mean, it was uh, these guys, this class is something that's going to be really exciting to watch all year. And there's a new name. I mean, listen, we watched. I watched 29 wide receivers. I had a watch list of another 12 guys. Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State was not on my list, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta watch a little bit of him. Nine catches, 170 yards and two touchdowns. He was probably the breakout player of week one that I just was not very familiar with. Anything, anything from you on him? Is, is he a guy that you have heard of? Is he a guy that, you know, was highly regarded in terms of high school or is he just an unknown to you as much as he is to me? No, he was just as surprising to me as he is to you. I mean, then again, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he was in those, if he was, uh, you know, a touted recruit, but it wasn't something that was on my radar. And this is why you gotta love college football. I mean, this is why you gotta love the idea that even when you think you know, you don't know until these games are played. So this is what makes every week exciting because I'll be honest with you. I've already had to write down names. He's one of them. And I'm excited because you know what? I hope to God there's more names next week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what makes this fun. I mean, think about how many 
Division One programs there are. Think about how deep rosters are. Think about how many guys come out of the woodwork. So many four wide sets, five wide sets. You know, teams use three running backs, four running backs now in games. It's impossible to have your pulse on every single team and every single depth chart. You know, from from the starters to the third string, the fourth string guys that emerge. So that's what's exciting about college football every week. There's guys that I'm like, wow, okay, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I got to make a note of him and, and, and get some film on him and watch him and add him to the watch list and this and that. So it, it makes it so much fun. Uh, let's close out the NFL draft report. Tight ends. Not a lot. I wrote down Matt Bushman, six catches, 62 yards from BYU. And then it was nice to see Hunter Bryant. I think with Jacob Eason there and now the threat of a big time passing game, I think Hunter Bryant could lead that team in receptions this year, yards, and potentially touchdowns. And if he does that and he can stay healthy, I think he's the guy who's going to get pushed to near the top of the tight end board. And I don't know if a lot of people have him there right now. No, I think he's an outstanding receiving tight end. I think he's done things and we've had glimpses of what he can do on the field. I would not be shocked if that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's take this to the Debbie slant where we talk about some underclassmen and uh, freshmen and sophomores and what to make maybe of their performance or their opportunity. I'm going to give you the floor, Matt, and I'm going to say, one, Trevor Lawrence looked human. He looked human. 13 of 23, 168 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. So he is human. So that's the first thing. Trevor Lawrence, you know, showed that it's not going to be 300 yards and three touchdowns every game between now and him, you know, being the first or second pick in the NFL draft in 2021. But Justin Fields, you've been telling us, you've been telling us since his high school film, since the high school all-star games, you've been saying as much as you love Trevor Lawrence, don't forget about this guy because he might be just as good, if not better, than Trevor Lawrence. I have been at the forefront of saying Georgia is going to regret this because I don't think they're going all the way with Jake Fromm. And they chose one year probably of Jake Fromm over at minimum two years of Justin Fields. What do you want to say about Justin Fields' debut for Ohio State? 234 yards, four touchdowns, another one on the ground, 61 yards rushing. I mean, I understand it wasn't against a big-time opponent, but he looked fantastic. Yeah, he did. And I mean, listen, he looked great for the first game. For first game running out there, I was really excited for him. Um, I, I really wanted to see – I wanted to see the touch and anticipation that I saw in high school. And I'm going to be honest with you, that first quarter left a lot to be desired. You know, it really did. Even though that first quarter had massive amounts of touchdowns being thrown, let's also remember the context in which most of them were thrown. There were some broken coverages. There were some guys wide open. Um, so it wasn't like he was in an uphill battle against an SEC opponent that was rated at the top of the charts. It wasn't He wasn't placed, He wasn't competing against a secondary that was really strong. But I will say this about him. I think what you saw from him is he is a game changer in more than one way. He can literally, you know, flip-flop advantage by himself with what he can do as a runner, with what he can also do as a passer. He offers that combination and versatility to make him lethal. And that's what he was in high school. He was lethal. I know people want to talk about, 
you know, some of the, the, you know, the back leg throws that we saw this past weekend and how amazing they were. And listen, they were, there were some great throws from some great quarterbacks, man, Justin Fields. It's only the beginning. You're only starting to see what he could do. He can do it on all levels of the field. He has great touch. We didn't see it in that game at every moment, but we saw glimpses of it. He threw a dime pass on a slant route in the first quarter. That was absolutely beautiful. And when I say a dime pass, I mean, we're talking that that ball went square into the face mask of the receiver, like right on his face, right on his face, not in his numbers, not in his shoulder. He was running a slant route. He threw it right at his face mask. It was beautiful. He can do that. He can do that better than almost anybody in the country. And I'm saying that now, knowing that he's still got work to do. So for everybody that wants to talk about Trevor Lawrence, listen, Trevor Lawrence has already earned his due. He won a national championship, for God's sakes, as a freshman. I mean, what what else do you want the guy to do? But the only thing I will throw out there is do not forget that Justin Fields is capable of doing that as well. Now, Willie, I think he will. I think he's going to be able to put a lot of pressure on Trevor. I think he's going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of teams. I think we're going to be talking about him in that in that Heisman world by the end of the year. I think it's very possible for that to be true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as long as somebody else can win it, that's not an Oklahoma quarterback. But well, I mean, not 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 when a guy's scoring three touchdowns on the ground and three through the air. I don't think five passing is really going to matter. So. I it, l- listen, but the, but you see how some of these numbers, these were video game numbers, guys. Like these were tune-up games for a lot of these teams. You know what I mean? And that's not to diminish the fact that there was a lot of heart and awesome competition going on. I love watching college football. Every guy's emptying the basket, but a lot of these teams were mismatched. They were mismatched. You know what I mean? So that's not to diminish any of the accomplishments that occurred, but there were some mismatches here for sure. And and these guys exploited it when they came to it. Yeah, absolutely. On a, on an unfortunate note, uh, JT Daniels for USC, 215 yards, one touchdown, one interception, but towards ACL, gonna be out this season. I know he's a guy in another quarterback in that class that you thought very fondly of. So it's unfortunate, uh, him to suffer that injury. Hopefully he gets healthy and we see him back next year in the starting that job there for USC. Uh, Matt Corral struggled this week, nine, uh, only nine for 19, 93 yards in interception. It'd be interesting to kind of see how he bounces back from that performance. And you already talked about Bo Nix, so we won't get into him again. We both were extremely uh, – we thought we really liked what we saw from him in that game, leading Auburn to the victory there over Oregon. Any thoughts on Daniels and the unfortunate injury or Corral? No, uh, I think I think Corral is somebody that you're going to have to you're going to have to grow with him. Um, he is that quintessential gunslinger that we all talk about. If we're going to use that moniker to describe who he is, um, he is a very fearless passer. You saw that in high school. There was no window too small that he didn't want to try to drill that ball through. Um, and that's something that's going to come with repercussions. And in his short stints that he had last year, he looked great. So I, I'm just going to kind of chalk it up to you know also a program kind of in. Um, in, I don't want to say in turmoil, but a program that's in, uh, that's movement. There's movement. There's a movement happening in those, in that program right now at Ole Miss. So I'm going to say a program that's in, in change or dynamically changing. So I want to see how it all settles in for him the following year. Um, what, one player that I would like to throw out there is, um, South Carolina, right? They lost to North Carolina. Sam Howell, go to the radar. We had him on our watch list. He was a player that we did watch. 
look good, looked looked like a player that could could rise up, you know, could rise as a freshman. Um, but I wasn't somebody that I saw necessarily making an impact year one. Sam Howell, throw him on your radar. He looks like he can make an impact year one. Boy, does he look like he can make an impact year one. He just marched out there and beat an SEC team with a team that's North Carolina that barely was on the radar. So, Sam Howell. Yeah. Check. Absolutely. Make sure, make sure that, I mean, that was one of the more stunning things this weekend, you know, a South, yeah. Car- a South yeah. Carolina team led by a veteran, you know, experienced quarterback and Jake Bentley. We talked about Brian Edwards. I mean, for South Carolina to lose that game to North Carolina, I think speaks volumes about this kid's moxie and excitement level now, maybe there at North Carolina for maybe what, what he can do there. So I think that's something definitely worthy of talking about. Uh, not, nothing really. From my perspective, in terms of underclassmen running back, really to get into, but there was a couple wide receivers I wanted to bring up and, and get your thoughts on Matt. The first one is uh, I talked about earlier Tyler Johnson having a quiet game for Minnesota. Well, his teammate Rashad Bateman did not not draft eligible in the twenty twenty one class. Five catches, one hundred and thirty two yards, and a touchdown. And then we I know we talked a lot about him off air. Terrence Marshall Jr. for LSU, four catches only, 31 yards, but three touchdowns. I think we are about to see a breakout-type performance from Terrence Marshall, one of the top uh, wide receiver recruits last year that people seem to be very down on because of what happened there at, at LSU last year. And then Brennan Eagles, three catches, 59 yards, and two touchdowns. Could he push Colin Johnson a little bit this year and maybe be one of Texas's top uh, pass catchers as well. Any thoughts on any of those three, Bateman, Marshall, or Eagles? Yeah, well, let's go right to uh, Eagles. I think Eagles is a player that's just full of talent and ability. I mean, a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was just kind of kind of coming into his own. I mean, you're talking about six foot four, two 225 pounds. I mean, you're talking about an absolute big specimen of an athlete and when it comes down to what he was capable of doing in high school I mean he really was a player who not only had some nuance as a route runner but his just the way he won the ball in the air his fluidity in terms of you know just his control and functionality in terms of catching the football it was really something to behold at the high school level and he was a player that I think I had uh, in the freshman notebook somewhere around the top five if not six I mean he was very close he was definitely in my top eight um, and I, I really liked him and I thought he was going to be great, you know, at, um, Texas. And I'm going to be honest with you. Will he push Colin Johnson? Probably not, but I think it makes Texas very dynamic knowing that they have two players that are going to be of that ilk, that kind of, you know, six foot five, six foot six, kind of 220 plus pounds. You're talking about a big, big group of wide receivers. And if that's not enough, I mean, Texas also has, you know, Devin Duver- uh, Duvernay as well. And, and those, that's another player that's excellent, you know, in terms of winning in a variety of ways. And Keontae Ingram, talking about running backs, right? Keontae Ingram, 11 carries, 78 yards, 7.1 yards per carry, also contributed with three receptions for 43 yards. Keontae Ingram is a guy who's a jack of all trades. You know, I mean, he could do a little bit of everything. Reminds me a lot of Kerryon Johnson. So when you talk about Keontae Ingram, I see a little bit of shades of Kerryon Johnson. I don't think he's going to blow you away in terms of as you know, in terms of the speed or the athleticism. But when it comes to play speed on the field, he's a very intriguing player. Yeah, you got to be excited. I mean, if you're a Tom Herman fan, um, I love what he does as a coach in terms of of coaching the game. You got to be tight. You know, you got to be excited, especially as a college football fan. Looks like Texas is back, Paul. I mean, it looks like Texas might actually be back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
that that was a lot of fun watching them this week. And and obviously when we get to the tail of the tape, they, they're staring at a big one next week. So that's going to be real fun for Texas. Only t- underclassman tight end they had on the Debbie Slant was, I think if you fast forward a year from now, I think Jeremy Ruckert is going to be talked about as one of the top tight end recruits. I mean, top tight end prospects for that 2021 class. Was he, again, you got to jog my memory because you know these guys much better. Was he a highly thought of recruit yeah. coming out that he's, yeah. he's, he's got the pedigree in addition mm-hmm. to the, the, the talent? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about one of the best, you know, tight ends in that class. Um, also his compatriot over there, a fellow tight end that I, I think is absolutely brilliant as well. And I think he's going to be right there, uh, next to Ruckert, you know, in terms of pushing the envelope as the top tight end. That's Brevin Jordan. Um, both those guys, both those guys showed up, stood up, got counted. They showed what they can do this week. They are on the map. And Brevin Jordan, I would argue, is probably a half a tick ahead of Rucker right now because in terms of him doing it as a freshman as well as a sophomore. So, I mean, those guys are going to be there. Those are the guys that we wanted to see. And Rucker, I think what you saw from him is you saw what you wanted to see in terms of his ability to catch the football and be a route runner and be a little bit of a, a kind of a move tight end. He's, he's a very, very accomplished, I think, pass catcher. And I think he's a guy that could very easily move into that role of being a sought after probably. He, he reminds me a little of Grant Calcaterra. If you like Grant Calcaterra, I, I, I like their kind of similar play styles. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Brevin Jordan because I didn't have him on my list because that week zero, we never talked about that week zero game. Brevin Jordan in that first yeah. game looked absolutely fantastic. Well, so, I mean, we got tight ends in the pipe that, that have big time upside. Yeah, no, and if you wouldn't, and if you guys wouldn't mind, I know, I know this is a little off script, but Jaron Williams, I think, played outstandingly well for Miami as well. Jaron Williams is a sneaky good quarterback, guys. He's a sneaky good quarterback. Played in a really difficult leave league in uh, Atlanta. And I, I talked about, you know, Paul talks about my heart fluttering for guys like Jordan Love and, and Justin Fields. But Jaron Williams is a, is a guy that I've been really, really excited to see. I'm so excited. The kid finally got the shot. And you know what it is, Paul? He has, he has that. I know, I know we always use these giants kind of analogies every once in a while, but he's got that Eli Manning um, moxie to him when he's playing football. So you never know, just like with Sam Darnold, we said it too. You never know what quarter it is. You never know what the score is. You never know if he got sacked 12 times. You just never know because every time you show him, he always looks the same. And that's something that Jaron Williams brings to the table in terms of playing the quarterback position. He's a guy that I think is really going to turn a lot of heads this year. I'm really excited for him. And Paul, just um, one last player I was kind of kind of burning on a little bit. Couple of a uh, couple of little heart flutters for me. Um, I was really excited in terms of you know um, freshmen that kind of showed up. I love Devin Ford getting six carries for 107 yards. That was just exciting for me. Um, he's a player that I absolutely loved coming out of high school. Yeah, I had him as my number five overall running back. So I mean, I had him really high. Um, I think he is one of those. Um, DeAndre Swift caliber types of running backs, not in terms of the athleticism, but in terms of play style can contribute in the passing game can also contribute um, as a runner. So I, I was, I was really excited for him. Um, and then the last one that I would throw out there because it looks like Michigan is going to ride him. Um, and that is not an understatement. Um, Zach uh, Charbonnet uh, had eight carries for 90 yards, good for 11.2 yards per carry. So Charbonnet 
is uh, a guy who was a freshman that I was, again, very high on, really enjoyed his game. He was a guy I had as maybe, I think he was my number four or number three running back uh, in the 2019 class. So a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of freshmen getting some burn this past week. It, it was really exciting to see those guys get a foothold. Absolutely. It's going to be fun to, to watch their progress. So let's take this to the tail of the tape and then the NFL rookie report to close out this first uh, NFL draft report for week one. Tail of the tape as we look forward to this weekend. I know uh, a, a favorite running back of mine, Anthony McFarlane for Maryland, only had six carries this week. I'm looking forward to seeing the Syracuse-Maryland game this week. And in particular, I'm looking to see McFarlane get much more work involved. This is going to be a tough game for Maryland. Last time they last game they, this past week, they only needed to give him the ball six times. Touches. He did score two touchdowns. So I'm looking forward to seeing Anthony McFarlane this week versus Syracuse. Obviously, Cincinnati, Ohio State, Justin Fields, week two. Does he put on <laughs> another performance? A sneaky good uh, Cincinnati team, by the way. Yeah, sneaky so, good. They're so a good this, Cincinnati team. Yeah, so this is a little bit of a better test. I, I mean, Ohio State should roll pretty easily. So I'll be interested to see how uh, Fields does in week two. And then uh, the two big ones obviously need to be discussed. Clemson versus Texas A&M. How does Trevor Lawrence do in week two? I talked about he looked human in week one. I expect him to rise up in a big matchup and look really good. Travis Ethian, Justin Ross had a really quiet opening week. How does he look this week? Obviously, T. Higgins had, uh, I think, 96 yards and a touchdown, so probably more of the same from him. On the other side, how does Kelvin Mond, Courtney Davis, Jamon uh, Osborne uh, look against that Clemson team. So I think that game is going to be really fun to watch. You know, and, and not and, and just to not, not to interrupt you, but I think that Kelamon, I mean, nineteen for twenty seven last week. I mean, he showed times. He had a great throw off stride off his back foot into the end zone. I mean, he had a really dynamic kind of Sports Center highlight throw um, in that game, and and he was another player that we said. In the preview shows leading up to this season, the, the positional preview shows, we talked about him as an underclassman prospect that we could see start to kind of make some noise. And he kind of did last week. I mean, they won that game handily. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think you're 100% spot on. And then obviously LSU, Texas, you know, how does Joe Burrows look this week? Obviously that great week one performance, but now he's facing Texas. You know, Terrence Marshall, how does he do in a, in a big spot like this? And then you talked about Texas. Is Texas back? Well, if they're back, they got to win this week. They got to beat LSU. How did Sam Ellinger look? He had a great game in week one, four touchdowns. Brandon Eagles, we just talked about. Colin Johnson, you talked about the, the running back as well. So LSU, Texas, Clemson, Texas A&M. I mean, we're talking about two monster, monster matchups with tons of draft eligible prospects, tons of talented underclassmen that we have our eyes on. Any other thoughts about any prospects in those two big games or any other prospect matchup that you're looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, and you know what's another – I mean, if I can move to a separate game, I mean, I think you kind of covered it. There's one game that I think is sneaky interesting. I want to see Miami-UNC. I want to see Miami-UNC. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there it is. You talked about the quarterback for North Carolina. We talked about Brevin Jordan. We talked about Jaron Williams. So a lot of intriguing guys to watch in that game to see how they perform. So it's going to be fun, guys, uh, watching week two. A couple really big-time matchups that, that that have me excited. And then so many other games to uh, you know check out some high-level prospects. So let's close out the night with the NFL Rookie Report. I know there has not been any games yet 
week one of the NFL season coming upon us, but we really haven't checked in on this rookie class basically for over a month. I did a rookie report, uh, you know, or stock report probably sometime late July before training camps were opening. And I do feel like a lot has changed. Uh, so I'm just going to run through the positions and, and kind of talk stock up at the quarterback position. I'm going to say Daniel Jones. I mean, maybe I'm eating, you know, I, I gladly hope I am wrong. If preseason games and the narrative that's building around Daniel Jones becomes reality, I am glad as a Giants fan that I'll be eating some crow. I thought he was a second round pick. I thought he was a guy that was a Andy Dalton, Ryan Tannehill, best case scenario, Kirk Cousins. And maybe that's still where he ends up. But what we saw out of preseason, I don't want to hear it's preseason. That works for everybody. So if it was that easy, then why did why doesn't everybody put up performances like Daniel Jones did? Why don't why didn't the other rookie quarterbacks, you know, go like have a quarterback rating of one fifty and we're you know, so you can't use that statement because then then it means nothing. We should not have we shouldn't shouldn't even watch and pay attention. All he can do is face the opponents he places. Yes, the defense. Let me, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question, Paul. Was the competition that he faced in the preseason better than what he faced in college? Yeah, when he wasn't playing Clemson, yeah. <laughs> okay. So so is it at least fair to say that that was different than college for him? Yeah. And, I mean, that right. that in itself is an adjustment already. I mean, Dwayne Haskins, who played was an elite star in college, and Matt and I both loved and wanted the Giants to draft him, he, wasn't, he didn't put up the performance in preseason that Daniel Jones did. And I'm not saying that this small sample size means anything in the long-term outlooks of their career. But what I am saying is he looked really impressive and we got to at least acknowledge that and say, maybe we're wrong. Maybe him not having the playmakers and the offensive line at Duke at, that he put too much on his plate that we didn't get a chance to see him do the things that he was maybe capable of. And the narrative since draft weekend has been that the NFL didn't think the Giants were crazy that the NFL executives and high-level scouts and other GMs didn't think the Giants were off the reservation taking Daniel Jones. Most thought it was a really good pick. So I think the narrative between Daniel Jones in draft Twitter and Daniel Jones in NFL circles was very different leading up to the draft. And this might be one that the NFL was right on. And, and, and listen, there's been times that draft Twitter has been right. But this might be one that the NFL was right on because I've been blown away with his A, his arm talent is much better than it seemed to be in college. His ability to throw the ball vertically down the field with accuracy has been pinpoint. His his ability to go through progressions has been on. Ball placement, things that he's done things this year that do transfer. Ball placement, putting it where only his receiver can get it. So things like that, his vision to see the whole field. I've been really impressed with Daniel Jones. And this is coming from someone that didn't want him on the Giants, that thought it was a mistake, but he's looked really good. So stock up on Daniel Jones. Right now, give me Daniel Jones over Dwayne Haskins in terms of fantasy because you also add the running component that Daniel Jones can bring when he eventually gets under center. Uh, If you're not – if you have a deep – Dynasty, go get Jared Stidham on your team because I don't know when Tom Brady's going to retire, 
But Jared Stidham already won the backup job for New England. That's how highly New England thinks of him. The fact that Jared Stidham is the backup quarterback right now for New England Patriots. So if Tom Brady goes down with an injury, they're entrusting Jared Stidham to try to keep them afloat, win them meaningful games, the team that's got Super Bowl aspirations. And he's looked fantastic in preseason. So keep a close eye on Jared Stidham. His stock's up. Uh, Drew Locke, obviously stocked down. He's injured right now. Dwayne Haskins, they said, has been a little bit up and down inconsistency. Uh, Kyler Murray, you know, looked really shaky week two, looked a little bit better week three. They've been very vanilla, so about a stock neutral on him. Matt, any thoughts real quick on the quarterbacks? I will not quit Jared Sidham. I mean, I just I, – I haven't quit him. Um, he was a guy that you had to be honest about the realities of his situation playing in Auburn. Um, he wasn't putting up the stats. He wasn't showing what we wanted to see. But it goes to show you environment, right? I mean, Paul, we talked about it with Daniel Jones, and we talked about it now with Jared Stidham. Are we talking about exactly what we've been trying to preach and maybe not maybe not paying attention to it as enough? Maybe that's something that's true. Maybe maybe we're stumbling onto the very same things we're preaching about all the time, which is we have to look at the larger context with which these, with which these guys perform in because the way they perform is very much part and parcel to the types of arenas and environments they're playing in. If you're playing in a... Uh, a, a very oppressive, defensive kind of, you know, heavy type of situation where the line of scrimmage is constantly bearing down on you and you aren't really in a system that really covets the past as a way of moving the ball, Auburn. Well, then all of a sudden, Jared Stidham, you're not really fitting what we want to do. Whereas if we go into the ACC and we look at, say, Daniel Jones, and all of a sudden we're like, there's nobody to throw the ball to, or, or I don't really, I have to run for my life and not everybody's able to catch the football. I don't really have much of a running game. Everything is on me. I got to make it work. And these are the realities of the situations that these guys are playing in. And you know what? Jared Stidham, we looked at it a little bit. Daniel Jones, we looked at it a little bit, but what they're showing, I think is, is that the environment matters and we've got to kind of do a better job of doing that. So when I look at that Daniel Jones, like you, I didn't think he was a first-round pick top six. Do I think he was a solid quarterback? Sure. He was my number four quarterback, but I didn't see this from him. So I'm going to tell you right now, if he, if he ends up being this, then the NFL, it's the reason why we say it all the time. We've got a lot to learn. We're just playing catch-up. So I'm excited for these guys. I hope, I hope they make us look a fool. I hope that all the time. Because you know what? These guys are, are are moving the needle. And obviously, if you're playing for the Giants, I would love for you to move the needle. Daniel Jones, if you're doing great, then congratulations because you played an outstanding preseason. So I'm hoping it just carries through. Absolutely. So we, we'll be eagerly awaiting him getting his opportunity when it's time to move on from Eli Manning. Hopefully sooner rather than later, as much as we love Eli, I think the time is sooner rather than later to get Daniel Jones on the field and get that game experience uh, for the Giants. At the running back position, I feel like this has been the most stock up, stock down. Uh, we'll start with some of the, the guys. The big three, I think, are pretty status quo. And Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, and David Montgomery. I think Darrell Henderson had a little bit of a lackluster preseason. A lot of talk that Malcolm Brown is going to be heavily involved early on there as well. So it'll be interesting to kind of see the role that they have for Darrell Henderson. And we still don't know about Todd Gurley. So a lot up in the air, but Henderson didn't have any big breakthrough moments. I still like him. I'm still buying him where I could. I think stock up on Justice Hill because Kenneth Dixon got cut. 
or went to IR. I don't, I don't know the logistics, the procedural uh, that they did to, for that. But Justice Hill is there with Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram. I think he's going to get an opportunity. I keep calling him to be my Philip Lindsay type player this year. That once he gets on the field, they might not be able to get him off. Uh, stock up on Devin Singletary because the Bills cut LaShawn McCoy. I still am not as high on Singletary as other people. I'd move him up my rankings a little bit. I still don't know if he's the long-term guy there that I think the Bills are going to invest in for the next three or four years. He's not a great pass catcher. He's not very big, so I don't know if he's going to be a goal line guy. He plays tough. He runs tough. So I'm intrigued by him. But I think he might be a guy that the dynasty community starts really valuing high. And I might, after some good games, I might cash out on him if the price is right to get a valuable pick in 2020. uh, Because I don't know if he's the long-term guy there. He's going to get an opportunity this year. But even this year, I still think Frank Gore and TJ Yeldon are going to be very much involved. And it's going to be a three-person committee or mess of a a backfield at times. Uh, Tony Pollard stock up right now until... Ezekiel Elliott shows up, and even if he does, they've been throwing the Alvin Kamara word around the yeah, lot there. That they, that, they, that they think he's very intriguing, that even if Elliott comes, he might have some standalone value. Uh, and then, unfortunate, stock down on Rodney Anderson, tearing his ACL again. Uh, you know how much I was a fan of Rodney Anderson. He was my favorite running back prospect, basically up until last December when Josh Jacobs emerged onto the scene. And even then, I refused to move Rodney Anderson off a of number two on my rankings based on film only, even with all the injury concerns. And then they reared their ugly head again. So very unfortunate news there. And I'll leave it on this. Everyone's Everyone is down right now in the moment on Darwin Thompson for this year. Ryan McDowell put out a tweet yesterday and I agreed with it and I subtweeted it and I couldn't, I couldn't scream from the hilltop more. Go buy Darwin Thompson right now. And especially if the LaShawn McCoy signing there for one year has people a little bit, you know, down on that, that they might not get anything out of Darwin Thompson. A, I'm not buying that he might not do nothing this year. It's a long year. And two, I still think he could be very much a factor in Kansas City's long-term plans. Damian Williams is a 29-year-old journeyman. LaShawn McCoy is a soon-to-be 31-year-old guy who's got a lot of wear and tear on his body who just signed the one-year deal. Go by Darwin Thompson. Matt, any thoughts on the running backs real quick before I finish it off with the pass catchers? Not too much to discuss on them. So, so would you trade me Darwin Thompson? No. See. Well, there you go. I, I just asked the owner if I can get the Darwin Thompson. First, first round pick, twenty twenty. Done. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think that's all, I think that's all great. Um, I, I do think everything you just said there. Obviously, David Montgomery. Just keep it in mind. He's a guy that we, you know that I think is going to end up being massive stock up for the rest of the year. Um, I, I love I love the Tony Pollard discussion. Love it. Love it. I, I, I was never that high on him. I thought I saw a great athlete, a versatile athlete, but I knew he had to land in the right spot. And sometimes, like you said, you land in the right spot, man. It's more than just the player. If we learned one thing from Jared Stidham and Daniel Jones this year, we've got to watch context when we're watching film. Same thing with Tony Pollard. You got to watch context when you're watching film. You got to know that where they land matters just as much as what they bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's go to tight ends real quick. There's that almost nothing to talk about there. I think Hawkinson and Fant are status quo. Irv Smith, I think pretty much status quo. We know he's going to have to wait his due there with uh, Kyle Rudolph there. Not a lot of noise from Jay Sternberger or Josh Oliver or Dawson Knox. Cahill Warren right now been battling a concussion. Might be some IR or IR designation. Uh, so he's pretty far down the depth chart. I still like all those guys. So I'd be all about trying to get them on the back end of my dynasty roster and just wait out on any of those guys. Sternberger, Oliver, Knox, and Warren definitely would try to get Irv Smith on my team. People might be a little bit scared away on Kyle Rudolph signing a three or four year extension, but in reality, it's really just, it really was, it's kind of a lot of fluff. That extension is not something that's written in stone. They can release him after this year with almost no cap penalty. So I still think Irv Smith sooner rather than later could be the tight end uh, of, of, the starting tight end there for the Vikings and well, very much be fantasy relevant. Well, I mean, if any of you are familiar with the summer seminar series, Sean Mishka, who is one of the most incredible movement coaches in the country, who's always hanging around Vikings camp, um, told me, um, and, and I think he even tweeted out that, um, that Irv Smith Jr. was one of the most impressive movers that he's seen. So, I mean, if you're talking about people that, that you want to kind of, put stock in when it comes to their opinion. Sean is always somebody I put stock in when it comes to movement and what it means to move on the football field. And he said Irv Smith was somebody that really impressed him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I agree with it because that's his movement skills are something that I've always stood out to me about Irv Smith. And then at the wide receiver position, it, the wide receiver position is still as nauseating to make sense of as it was two months before the draft, a week before the draft, a week after the draft, and now months after the draft. It, there's still, you know, Nikhil Harry ha- has been most people's number one wide receiver. He's been number four for me for a while now, but I mean, he's going on IR. He's had a lot of issues in Patriots camp, you know, separation quickness, understanding the, the, the routes and the scheme. So those are all things that I worried about, especially when he was drafted to New England and the pressure of being a first round pick. So right now, stock down on him. Paris Campbell, stock down, missed most of the preseason and training camp due to an injury. Andrew Luck retires. So now the Colts offense is totally different. Uh, Mikol Hardman, who I love and had a fantastic preseason. I think now's the opportunity to also buy Nicole Hardman. I don't think Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins are both in there, both with the Chiefs for the long haul. I think fast forward one year, one of those guys is not on the Chiefs roster. So make it, so in a year from now, I could see Nicole Hardman being very intriguing. Go buy him now. Stock up on Debo Samuel. He might be a starter and maybe the number one wide receiver in San Francisco to start the year. I love his game. He was right near the top of my draft board, number one, number two with AJ Brown. Uh pre-draft and then post-draft he became number two uh right there as well pre-draft i think i had him at number five so stock up on him dk metcalf battling an injury but there's a lot of opportunity in seattle so you might want to say stock down on the injury but stock up on the opportunity ahead jj arcega whiteside looked really good in in preseason for the eagles but he's going to probably have to wait out a year to maybe get a real opportunity until they move on from Alshon Jeffrey. You have the the Ravens players, Marquise Brown working his way back from his injury. Miles Boykin really stood out. 
Uh, so stock up on Miles Boykin, a little wait and see on Marquise Brown. Terry McLaurin had a lot of positive vibes in training camp. Didn't do much in terms of the preseason, but keep an eye on him this year. Andy Isabella probably going to be down as number four, number five wide receiver to start for Arizona. See if he can work his way up. Jalen Hurd is an interesting name that could work his way into the mix for San Francisco. Keyshawn Johnson has had a strong camp for the Cardinals. Really precise route runner. And then Preston Williams, uh, stock up on him. The Dolphins traded Kenny Stills. He's had his moments. Uh, guy who probably would have been a third or fourth round pick if it wasn't some off the field issues. Stock up on him and then stock down on Hakeem Butler, who's going to miss this year, uh, was sent to I are Matt. Any thoughts? And I'll I, say I'll say one other name. Stock up on Calvin Harmon because they traded Josh Doxson. I think Calvin Harmon, even as even as a sixth round pick, is going to get an opportunity sooner rather than later to show his skill set that I know you and I are both really high on. Well, you took away Calvin Harmon, so there's my first <laughs> one. And now you're going to take away my. I can't let you take out away my second one though. Hunter Renfro, the substitute teacher, he's going to do good. That's what they were calling him, I guess, was the substitute teacher. The players were playing with him because with his helmet off, he looks like a substitute teacher. So, you know what? We're educators. Go substitute teacher, man. I Hunter Renfro is a guy I'm going to really keep my eye on because I'm going to tell you right now, people talk about the turmoil between AB and they talk about the turmoil between him and Derek Carr and like the whole team and the helmet thing. Let me tell you something. If it's not working between him and AB, I'm going to tell you right now, Hunter Renfro is the guy that will always be in the right place at the right time and be open. He's yeah. going to be open. He's going to be open. So just keep that in mind when you're talking about guys you might want to stash somewhere just in case they get peppered with 60 or 70 targets You know, their first year. He's that type of guy. Yeah, absolutely. And one one final name, John Ursua from the Seahawks is going to get an opportunity to maybe in their top career, top four wide receivers right out of the gate. Explosive player uh, to play inside, to play outside. Keep an eye on him. We've seen guys, you know, come out of nowhere and become relevant for the Seahawks. Uh, John Ursua, late round draft pick for them, might be the next in line. And so I'm just letting everybody know. I just put Jared Stidham on my team because after a while, I just, I just, the excitement just got me really excited. And Paul, and we were just talking, I'm like, you're right. I'm going to miss out on this. Somebody's going to, he's going to trip on something. Tom Brady's going to trip on something and then he's going to be a starter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, listen, I, I invested in, in one startup dynasty league that had really deep rosters. I think he's the guy you just waited out on. Uh, if you can, if you can, obviously sometimes rosters are, you're unable to, but if you can, he might be a guy that's well worth it in the long run. So there it is guys, the NFL rookie report, basically the preseason edition of that, uh, guys, hopefully you like this. This is going to be the new format, uh, for the season, similar to what, uh, last year was but now we're back into the regular season mode you're going to have the nfl draft report the devy slant the tail of the tape as we look ahead to these week's matchups and then the nfl rookie report any thoughts guys comments please reach out to matt or i uh and we love interacting with you i know i interacted with a lot of you guys this weekend on college football saturday really enjoyed that and look forward to doing that this entire season we really do hope you consider the premium notebooks it is the best way to support the show we have not put anything behind a paywall in terms of the podcast or set up a patreon account uh we just really uh hope you take a chance on the notebooks it, this basically helps us cover our costs helps us the the fees and the, the stuff for the hosting the podcast and the website domain name and all that stuff and all the subscriptions man i need in order to do what we do so hopefully you consider it and if you bought it in the past you purchase it again matt any final parting shots here 
No, I, I think it goes without saying how much we appreciate you guys and how much we appreciate doing this show and how gra- gracious we are for it. Because really, without this this platform, without you guys interacting with us, without your faith and trust in us, and without this open discussion that we have every week, honestly, it just it makes everything in terms of just being able to share a little bit with everybody who are like minded. I enjoy it. It's something I look forward to every week. So, just thank you so much. A big, big thank you as we start the big season. Absolutely. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.